0: Open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 13. Now, my original intention was to have you turn to a bunch of passages with me. For the sake of time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the reference, which I would urge you to write down, and then I'm going to read the passage for you. So if you will just soak it all in as I move quickly through the Bible message this morning, I think it'll be a blessing to you. I think it'll encourage you and help you. And also, it will condense it into the most... You know, I know there's a philosophy out there that says, well, bless God, we can sit and watch a movie for two hours. We can watch a ball game for three hours. We ought to be able to hear a message for an hour. Um, That's great, but listen, I've done this long enough to know when I've lost the crowd. And so, I will not go an hour this morning. All right? And if you're... And the old old adage is uh, the heart cannot receive more than the seat can endure I think is how it goes so uh, we will not be a super long time but I do have something that I hope will go with you I hope you will allow the spirit of God to speak to your heart through God's word and I hope that you will ponder it as you go throughout your week one of our favorite preachers here is Pastor Charles Clark, the pastor of the Solid Rock Baptist Church in Berlin, New Jersey. He's preached here for us many times. And one of the first times that he was here, maybe the first time that he was here, I remember we went on a picnic that day and we were all, a whole group of us were were eating a picnic lunch at Garrison Landing in Garrison, New York, right on the Hudson River. And Pastor Clark just came over and we started talking. One of the things that he said in that conversation and I've heard him say many times since is I'm looking for people who are looking for God he says as I live my life whether I'm sitting at the coffee shop or whether I'm going making visits in people's homes wherever I go I am looking for people who are looking for God and here's what I want to challenge you with this thought and I think I can prove it from the Bible God is looking for people who are looking for him And let's see if you don't come to that same conclusion as we look at a few passages. Now, first, you're in Matthew 13, and uh, you should read this afternoon, verses 10 through 16. For sake of time, I'll summarize what's going on here. Jesus had just given this large crowd a parable that we know of as the parable of the sower. When he got done, the majority of the crowd said, that was nice. Thank you, got to go, and dispersed. But a smaller group surrounded Jesus, comprised of his close followers, and said, can you explain that to us? Can you tell us what that, what that story means? And Jesus said, yes, I will. But before I do, he said, let me tell this. Because they, they asked him a question, by the way. They said, why, why, do you, why do you speak in parables? And he said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but not to them it is not given. What do you mean by that? Why was this smaller group chosen to understand the truths of the kingdom of God, but those who went away weren't? Particularly because they went away. They went away content to not know what that parable meant. But the people who stayed behind said, we want to know more. And so there's a difference between people that, oh, yeah, that's, he, this is the religious guy giving the religious talk, and that's kind of cool. Don't know what it means, but I got to go. And they left. And then there's this crowd that remained that said, Lord, what? tell us exactly what that means. And Jesus explained to them the parable of the sower. So I would echo Jesus' words and say to you, if you are willing to be in God's presence and say, this is a great book, but i got to tell you, I I don't know what this means right here or or over here. I don't know what this means right here. Lord, I, I love it, but I don't understand it. Would you show me? You're in that group to whom Jesus would say, I believe, to you it is given to understand and to know the mystery, the kingdom of mysteries of the kingdom of God. Let me give you another passage. Write down Hebrews eleven six. And the writer of Hebrews says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I could expound on that verse for an hour. But instead, let me just focus on that one phrase. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If you diligently seek God, you will not come away empty. It sounds like to me from both of those passages so far that God is looking for people who are looking for Him. I'll give you another. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now, these words were spoken to a king named Asa. Asa was a man who followed and obeyed the Lord. He was the king of Judah. But there came a time in his life where he got his eyes off of the Lord and onto his problems And he started to make decisions without seeking the Lord. So for a long time, he sought the Lord. And then the cares of this life caused him to stop seeking the Lord. And so the prophet came and made this statement. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Once again, it sounds like God is looking for those who are looking for him. Psalm 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And we, he will show them his covenant. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Does it mean you live he's scared that he's going to strike you dead if you if you step out of line? No, that's not the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord simply means that your worldview is based upon what he says about it. And not what you make up for yourself, or not what some quote-unquote scholar, has a say about it. When God says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you say, I believe it because God said it. When God says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, you say, I believe it because God said it. That is the fear of the Lord. That is believing what God says just because God says it. And this verse says, that the froward, I'm sorry, wrong verse, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. God's got some secrets that he wants to share with people. Who does he share them with? Those who fear him. Proverbs 3, verse 32. The froward, that's the guy that, crooked is a good word, good synonym. The froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Now what is the righteous? The word righteous is a God word. Only God has righteousness. And so God is the only place we can get righteousness. We only get righteousness as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous, because he took our sin. And when we trust him, he gives us his righteousness. That wasn't true in the old Testament, but God still had righteousness for those who would believe on him and, and express that belief by their, their actions and their following of his means of salvation. But, okay, just making sure that wasn't me. Um, his, so his secret is with the righteous, meaning God's secrets are for those who follow his instructions. I don't mean keep every law. None of us can keep every law and every rule. That's not It's not about laws and rules. Righteous means... You seek the Lord and his way of doing things. Righteousness is bigger than morality. Morality is just a good code that helps us to get along with one another. But righteousness is, is for pardon the expression, but plugging into the Lord and saying, I, I want you to live through me. I want to do it your way. I want to follow your plan. And God's secret is with the righteous. You want to know God's secrets? Pursue righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, It sounds like one more time where the Lord seems to be saying, God is looking for people who are looking for him. One more, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Very similar concept to Hebrews eleven six. If you seek the Lord, if you're hungry for the Lord, you will be filled. Filled with what? Money? Stuff? Filled with him. As the Apostle Paul says, filled with all the fullness of God. And that's the greatest thing that can happen to you in this life. Happiness in this life is defined by so many people as just fun and money and stuff and sex and amusement and thrills that's not it the greatest thing that can happen to you in this life is to be filled with the fullness of God and God has that for those who seek him he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they should be filled real quick there's this question why is it that some people seek the Lord and some people don't? Well, it has nothing to do with merit. The person that seeks the Lord is not better than the person who doesn't. Okay? One reason some people seek the Lord and others don't is because the people that seek the Lord have light from previous generations. What does that mean? Not that their faith was handed down. You, you don't get faith passed down from your parents. you got to get your own faith. But because the children saw their parents seek the Lord. Paul said to Timothy, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and then in thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. See, sometimes light in this dark world is passed down to us from previous generations, and therefore we seek the Lord. Now, not everybody who grows up in a Christian influence seeks the Lord. But sometimes that is the reason. Sometimes the reason is because they have, excuse me, that was still from the Lord's Supper. That was nasty. Uh, they still have, they have someone praying for them. They have someone praying for them. Our prayers make such a difference. Jesus said to Peter in, in, the, in a similar setting to what we read a little while ago, Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for thee. He said, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. One reason people, some people seek the Lord is because someone's praying for them. Can I urge you? You have a friend. You have a family member. You have someone that you love dearly, but they don't know Christ, and you can't seem to figure out why don't they get it? Why can't they see it? Pray for them. And it may not happen like you want it to happen. You know, here's how you want it to happen or how I want it to happen. We pray for them and then we get our courage up and we go to them and we say, if you die today, you know, 100% sure you'd go to heaven. Let me show you four verses from the Bible. And And that doesn't work. And you walk away saying, I guess they're just never going to get saved. Maybe what needs to happen is the Lord needs to give them light to seek him for themselves how many times have I seen people in our church that were praying for a loved one to be saved and that person wound up getting saved by some other means than by the person who had witnessed to them and invited them to church and they, but for whatever reason, they wouldn't hear it from their parent or their child or their brother or their sister, but through some other way, the Lord shined the light and they saw, wow, this is real. I need this. And they got saved. You've heard the expression, God God works in mysterious ways. You pray for your loved one. And that's why some people seek the Lord and others don't. There are people in this world, unfortunately, who have no one calling out their name to the Lord. Maybe the reason you have the job that you have is because the people in your office or the people on your job sites have no other connection to the gospel but you. And that doesn't mean you need to pass out tracts at every coffee break. That means you need to write down the names of your coworkers and bring them to the Lord because you might be the only person that's praying for them. Why do some people seek the Lord and others don't? Another reason is because the people who seek the Lord, by the grace of God, have not been blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know what I infer from that verse, and I think it's perfectly legitimate to infer from that verse, is that if Satan were not blinding the eyes of people, every one of them would get saved. Every one of us would get saved. If we could see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, as he describes it, 100% of the time people get saved. But Satan knows that, so he blinds them. So they can't see it. And so for one reason or another, there are people who have not been blinded. Maybe it's because they have somebody praying for them, but that's one more reason. Let me give you two more, and then we'll, we'll close her down here. Another reason that people... Seek the Lord often is because they have no other resources. James 2, 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? What did Jesus say? That it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. (laughs) Well, That's pretty, I'd be discouraged if I was wealthy. Jesus didn't say that it was impossible. He just said it's not likely. People of means are a lot less likely to be saved. Why? Because they have everything they need. People that do without, they know they need God and they can see that they need God. That doesn't mean all people, all poorer people get saved. It means that they're more likely to seek the Lord. One last reason, because people hit bottom. When they hit bottom, they seek the Lord. Sometimes that person you're praying for to get saved, things just keep going wrong and keep going wrong, and I mean their life falls apart until finally they hit bottom and they seek the Lord. Keep it. Before, by the way, when that happens, I say, "See, it's, it's happened because I prayed for that to happen." Oh yeah, that's 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 a good idea. No, you. Do, but sometimes that's what happens. They need to hit bottom before they look to the Lord. I've loved the story of the woman with the issue of the blood that spent 12 years trying to be cured of her illness. But when she finally hit bottom, that's when she fought through the crowd to say, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she was. What she did, she, she hit bottom. And sometimes the reason people seek the Lord while others don't, it's not because they're wonderful, it's because they've hit bottom and they've got nowhere else to turn. Here's the point today stay hungry for God. Stay hungry for God. As I have spent my life analyzing this thing of the Christian life, I've watched other believers fail miserably and embarrass themselves and be just self-destruct, and I've watched other believers thrive, and I just have always said, Lord, I, I want to be in that thriving group, but I have enough I have just as much humanity as anybody else where I could very easily be in that destroyed group. So keep me with you. keep me close to you, keep me seeking you. And the more I consider it, the more I come to the conclusion that the thing that keeps you on track with God is that you stay hungry for God. You don't have a more important priority in your life than to stay hungry for God. Cut the things out of your life that would take away from your God appetite. You know, you surf and binge and all these great words that we've been introduced to. You do those things long enough and you have no appetite whatsoever for God. You hear somebody talk about, man, I just literally the other day spent hours in the word of God. I spent hours on my knees. You hear people say these things and you go, "God, got to be kidding. What kind of a life is that? The presence of God will never seem appetizing to you as long as you're filled with the junk of the world. You'll never get excited about the steak dinner that's been prepared for you with the with the uh, vegetables and the mashed potatoes and all. The, oh, what a great meal. But you've been eating Twinkies all afternoon. So you look at it and go, oh, man, that looks good, but there's no way. I just can't do it. And that's how we are when we come to the Word of God. We've been feasting on the Twinkies of this world, on Netflix, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, we've been feeding on the Twinkies of this world, fighting the good fight of politics. I'll, I'll show them. And then you come to the word of God and you're like, you know what, I'm full. Hosea 6.3, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. And then I'll take you back to Hebrews 11.6, God is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Can I throw out an idea to you? You know one of the greatest things you can do? to stay hungry for the Lord. You're not going to like this because it's work. Memorize scripture. When my father got saved, my father got saved in his 30s. He'd been a Catholic his whole life and grew up, I mean, altar boy, went to Notre Dame, went to Catholic high school, went to Notre Dame. And he was in his 30s when he finally got saved, though. You know one of the first things he did when he got saved? He memorized the book of James. Now, listen carefully. I doubt that he could quote to you word for word the book of James now, because that was 40 years ago. I doubt he could quote to you the book of James. Maybe he could. Maybe he would totally blow me away, surprise me, and he could. But I kind of doubt that he could. But you know what? It's not the recall that is most important. It's the process. The process of engrafting the word of God into your heart. Can I throw out a challenge to you? You know, the time to decide what you're going to improve in in 2020 is not New Year's Eve. It's almost too late then. You need to be thinking about that now. Do you know the book of Philippians has 104 verses in it? What's 104 divided by 2? 52. How many weeks are in the year? 52. You could memorize two verses a week, which is so easy. I don't care what your IQ is. You you could memorize a verse a day. It's just a matter of discipline. But two verses a week, and by the end of 2020, you could have the book of Philippians memorized. And whether or not you have the recall to quote the verse start to finish when you're all done, that's secondary to the fact that by the time you have tried and succeeded, At being able to quote the entire book of Philippians, it it cleanses you. It gets you thinking about God. It gets you focused on him. It keeps you seeking the Lord, and the Lord is looking for people who are looking for him. Let's bow our heads for prayer.